0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Well, hello, and a slightly earlier good morning to all of you uh, today. Thanks for braving the time change. Uh, my name is Tyler. I am your student ministry pastor here at North Shore. If you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in Ephesians 4 this morning. And, and when the guys come back forward, if you need a Bible at that point, um, just put your hand up and we'll get you one of those. Uh, but I am here to talk to us today about behavior modification. Behavior modification. We do it to our pets, to our computers. To our kids uh, and our Christians, yeah, it's going to be one of those this morning. I um, wanted to show you. Here's another example. This is my favorite two-year-old in the world. Um, she's actually here in the back somewhere. So there's Emery. And uh, another thing you can do it to write is fortresses of nature. So children's museum, any good one will have one of these water tables. And the water's all flowing downhill one direction. And the first time we discovered one of these, we were there for a very long time. Because you can move these grates around and, and build little dams and direct the water. And you can stop it from going one direction and, and have it go a different direction. And sometimes as society, we have to do that with you know, incoming uh, storms or directing water or keeping fire away or whatever. However... Uh, you may have realized over time that people are not very much like water. Uh, we're made up of a lot of it. However, you can't you can't live just putting a wall in front of a person, expecting them to go a different direction, and then and then life goes on and it's great. That's that's very limited. It's not going to work all that well. Behavior modification, thanks for the picture, guys, uh, kind of flows at its core from from one who knows better to one who needs to know, right? That's kind of the core of of how that works. Or somebody who uh, is doing it right, passing something on to somebody who needs to change. And then there's limited applications where that can work and be a really good thing. Um, But it has significant limitations, and it is not an appropriate, healthy lifestyle. This observation about Ephesians uh, might be helpful for this, um, but you may have noticed we've been doing this series for a while now. This is called The Worthy Walk, and for the first three chapters of Ephesians, we talked about no actual walking. For three chapters of Ephesians, we didn't get at what this series is called. We did last week. That was the first time. Pat uh, spoke at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 and clarified as we kind of turn a corner in this series what what worthy walking means, what it gets at. And actually that phrase is initiated in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. And and Pat did a phenomenal job. One of the phrases I really liked, so he was kind of talking about this idea from gospel foundation to practical living. And so something um, Pastor Pat said last week, as we kind of make this transition in the book of Ephesians, he said that the gospel changes every fiber of my being as I live out life with God and others. So that was introduced to us last week. It's gonna be really uh, applicable and just as useful this morning as well. Here's something you must know. This is what it means to be a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. There are 90 commands in the book of Ephesians. You might have a spot in your notes or if you like to write things, this might be a good place. There are 90 commands in the book of Ephesians. Zero in chapters one through three. All ninety of them are in chapters four, five, and six. Nine of them were introduced last week in Pat's section from chapter four, one through seventeen. The other eighty-one commands in the book of Ephesians are from this passage and through the end of the book, including a bunch that we have at the end of this passage. As we're looking at Ephesians four, seventeen, or yeah, seventeen through thirty-two, we got a bunch. Don't lie, don't steal, stop being angry. All of these types of commands. But pay attention to how Ephesians is structured for us. This is not only intentional, it's extreme. From zero in the first half to all 90 of them in the second half. Why? Why? Well, this helps kind of set the foundation. It helps remind us, it sets the record straight once again on what it means to be a Christian. This is a snapshot of of walking this faith out. Before Paul, writing the book of Ephesians, says one word about how you should live, he says 1,414 words about the grace of God. That's important to be a Christian results in living differently than the culture around you, but that's not what it means. To be a Christian means to know Jesus. And you can even ask, well, what does it mean to be a better Christian? Well, it starts with the same thing, to know Jesus. So take all of that. The intro is over. Here we go. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 through 19, as we dive in this morning. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So let's stop there for a second. Important, um, right, it starts off, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And as we've been going through this book that has specific connotations to it, Gentiles in the book of Ephesians refers to uh, your past life. As Paul's writing this to a a group, a church of people who were Gentiles, now believe in Jesus, he's using this language to remind them of their past. And so your your past life, who you once were, pre-Jesus, or or where they're currently living, what is culturally normal? And so he says, you must no longer walk as you once did. Or as the people that you once belonged to walk in the futility of their minds. Now, I think this is incredibly important. Paul launches this kind of idea that we're we're going to stay away from something. But he doesn't actually say here what that was. He says, don't don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't, Don't live how you used to live. And then he doesn't say what that was. Instead, he summarizes the human experience apart from Christ. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So instead of giving examples, he simply says that their minds were darkened and their hearts were hard and makes it clear that those two are connected and so that this speaks to the totality of human experience. Everything at one point was opposed to God. The human mind and heart, apart from Christ, cannot guide you or keep you to a life that is pleasing to God. Basically, what you think and feel is unreliable and he, and he clarifies this with that phrase alienated from the life of god that was the results of of a different way of thinking and of a hard heart, the result was alienated from life with God. The reason that people do not live the life that God intended for them is because their thoughts take them far from Christ or their hearts take them far from Christ. And if your thoughts take you somewhere else and your uh, heart takes you somewhere else, your actions are going to follow. And so by, by saying, don't walk, Paul reminds us that, that you and I can still fall into that. You can still think up something that will be contrary to God's will. You can still feel something that will not be in line with God's heart. And if your thoughts and feelings take you far from God, your actions will follow. Okay, you're like, this is... Church, where's the good news? Um, I don't know. You can read. Where in this where in this paragraph is the good news? There is no good news if you look within yourself. And we can say that with complete confidence and without panic, because of where Scripture takes us next. Verse twenty. and holiness Um, so what what the bible has for us here is that if you were taught in him and the truth is in Jesus this is what that teaching entails and it's just these three simple things to put off your old self to be renewed and to put on the new self and so if, you have, if you've heard that, if you have heard the actual gospel, that's what it entails. And I would just like to apologize on behalf of the church if you heard at any point in your life a different gospel. If you heard something that doesn't say that, if you heard you must do this, you must be better, if you must check whatever, that's not here. Paul says, if you learned the truth in Jesus... Put off your old self, be renewed, and put on the new self. This is the process of, a big Bible word, sanctification. And it's right there in the end of chapter, or the end of verse 24, uh, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Sanctify is just the word that we came up with to make holy because holification didn't sound very good. And so we called it sanctification, to sanctify, sanctity, holiness, to become more holy. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about how to behave better, but how to become more holy. Holy. And so let's look at these three things uh, that were listed between verse 22 and 24. The first one, to put off your old self. Sometimes the Bible uses big words that can be kind of confusing. Sometimes the Bible also uses little words that, if not understood in context, can be just as confusing. How do I put off my old self? (laughs) What does that even mean? Here's what I think. When you encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, your old self comes off. It has to. There is no way to look at the cross of Jesus and be filled with pride and self-congratulation. How are you going to encounter something like, but because of his great love, For us, God is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins, and go, yay me! How are you going to encounter, even as God shows us in him before the foundation of the world, and go, I am awesome? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Look what I did! This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no one can boast. Pretty proud of that! The old self is everything about you that believes you're a bigger deal than God. Put that away. And in other places in scripture, it says put that to death. If you encounter the gospel, your old self will fade. You can't look at what Jesus Christ has done for you and be proud of who you once were. without getting too far into the Greek structure, the way this is set up, this is a continual command. You were taught to put off your old self. That is a, um, a continuing tense. This is something you will do. And I think you felt that when we read those verses. And if you process what Jesus has done for us, you feel that tug on your old self, which has come off, which is coming off, and there's still more of it to put off and to put away. We're not done with this. And so as part of the process of putting off your old self, we are also that second command to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So when the Christians receiving this, this letter came to this part, they were, they were understanding if, if, if we are instructed in Christ, we are urged to be made new, to yield ourselves to God and allow ourselves to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, in your inner being, who you are. And some of you in, in hearing those words, Romans 12, two might come to mind. Right. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's almost the same language. The contrast from here to the verses we read at the very beginning is crystal clear. If it was the darkened mind and the hard heart that kept people away from God, then those are the very things that need to be transformed by God. Your mind and your heart are what's at stake here. We said it before, the human mind apart from Christ is unable to guide you or keep you into a way of life that is pleasing to God. If If the distance from God stemmed from a darkened mind, then it is our mind that needs to be constantly renewed. This is why behavior modification does not work. It can't. To be renewed or to be transformed does not equal stop doing a few things. It's radically different. It doesn't mean avoid bad stuff. It's not even a shift from one code of ethics to another. You've just replaced something. Transformation has happened when you grow and learn and are changed to love what you should do. That's true transformation. When you've arrived at the point where it is not work or it is work of a different kind it's not putting up a wall so I don't do that putting up a wall so I go here putting up a ramp so that I can be in this place but none of that is what I want to do that's not transformation and so what Jesus is after is changing us so that following his commands obedience to him is actually what we wanted to do anyway how does that happen It happens in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And there's very intentional biblical language for how we go about this in our daily lives. There's a really cool thing that happens in the Bible when we get this idea. It's here. We read it, but it's it's in other places, right? So we are commanded to be renewed, to be transformed, active and passive, work to let God work. Probably the best one of this is Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, which says, therefore work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, comma, for it is God at work in you. Work out your own salvation because God is working in you. There's a a partnership there. A strange one. It's an intentional paradox, a biblical tension. One of Pastor Scott's favorite things. There's this basically do whatever is within your power to let the Holy Spirit do everything within his power. Do you feel that difference? That's unique. That's radical. That's in partnership with the divine. It is so much work sometimes to let the Holy Spirit work. Not to be better, but to be made holy. And so, if you get all of that, you're ready for the third piece, verse 24 to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is deliberate. If you don't do it in this order, it won't work. right? You You can't just willpower your way into a new person. Jesus Christ must transform you. And then in this new life, Uh, God is not only the author, but he is its model and example. It is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holy. The truth of the new you is not defined by you, but by God. And that's a hard thing to encounter in today's culture, I think. Uh, I've been at a lot of graduations or similar types of ceremonies, they all say the exact same thing. <laughs> Dream big, go get whatever you wanna get, be a better you, end of speech, with 30 minutes of stuff in between. <laughs> um, but we don't, we don't get to define what that looks like. It's, it's not a man-made religion. It's holiness modeled after the character of God himself. It comes from him. It looks like him. It's defined by him. And so again, if you're not transformed, you'll never get there. As the Holy Spirit transforms you, you become a new person who is modeled after the character of God. Do you see that difference? It's it's not picking a virtue and then trying as hard as you can to be more of that virtue. That's not biblical transformation. That's not sanctification. That's behavior modification, and it is insufficient. Um, I was thinking about weddings, maybe your wedding. wedding you've been in, wedding you've attended, right? Lots of things happening at a wedding. But in my experience, the the most memorable part is not really ever the the vows. Um, Maybe that was especially meaningful, uh, but I've noticed uh, having my dad done a lot of weddings, been around a lot of weddings, officiated weddings, uh, there's even like a, a copy and paste version you can use, right? Blah, 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 sickness and health, this, that, and the other thing. And so there's words that get said at a wedding. My wife and I even worked really hard to write our own vows. And we don't remember all of them, uh, to be perfectly honest. But here's what's happening at a wedding. All of this stuff is going on. And then we get to the point which theoretically should be the most important part of a wedding ceremony. The words that you proclaim to that other person, which is how you are going to live in the future, these promises you've made, the moon that you're gonna give them, right? Everything, and yet when we get there, a lot of times there's even this just rote aspect to it. Repeat after me, blah, 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 then it's done so you can get to the real stuff. Here's what's implicitly happening at a wedding. You sitting there. Everyone knows that the success of the marriage is not dependent on the words that are said in that vow ceremony. Whether or not that couple will make it is not grounded on those vows that were said. They're representative, they're important, but you know that. You don't you don't think 20 years down the road, man, they're still married and it's awesome. What incredible vows they said at their wedding. It's not how it works. You will survive life as a married couple because of your character and that of the other person and the commitment that you make, live out, and renew every day, not because of some words that were said those are a reflection of something deeply eternal and far more meaningful. And so, when we get to verse 25, we've now kind of entered the shift in the book of Ephesians where there's, there's a lot of those vow-type things. There's a lot of commands now. And so Paul launches in. There's seven verses of this. Put away falsehood, Speak the truth. Don't sin in your anger. So in light of all all that we've said, I I, I couldn't even dive too deep into this. I I was encountering the question, why? Because Paul just made it very clear that that's not really what matters. So why did he do it anyway? Why give these specific examples? And there's going to be a lot more of them. Sometimes we just need those reminders. We need encouragement. Um, Perhaps this simply speaks to the totality of the gospel application in life. Paul's just gonna launch into the gospel affects you here. It affects you here. It can change this. It can impact you here. It can do all of these things for you. And so as we hit this pivot point in Ephesians 4, Paul grounds everything from here on out in the gospel. That's what we've just left in verses 20 through 24. If you don't know why your old self needs to be put off, or, put, or to die, you will never be able to live this way in freedom. If you don't know who renews you, you will never be in true partnership and be able to live this way in freedom. If you don't have the gospel that comes first when you encounter this, it's just behavior modification and it's death. It will not help. It will put a wedge between you and God. And so with all that, if you want to have an eternal impact on somebody, consider the total volume of your words. That's the wrong word. Amount, not like decibels. Um, is what you say to somebody, is the bulk of what you say Actions to do or avoid? Or is it, as was laid out in verse 20, truth in Jesus? Now change out that word somebody and give it some thought. If you want to have an eternal impact on yourself, is the bulk of what you say to yourself actions to do or avoid? Or is it truth in Jesus? If you want to have an eternal impact on your kids, is the bulk of what you say actions to do or avoid, or is it truth in Jesus? If you want to have an eternal impact on your parents, if you want to have an eternal impact on your community... I do not believe Paul sat down with the book of Ephesians and said, how can I structure this in an interesting way that will make a kind of a cool subtle point later on in chapter four. This flowed out of how he lived and how the gospel foundationally worked in his life. It's Jesus first. It's being transformed by the Holy Spirit along the way which results in living differently. So I'll go into youth pastor mode for just a second here. If you ask our kids here, if you ask our students what we talk about the most in youth group, man, I hope they would say the gospel. And I think they would, the ones that are paying attention. I I think they would, because if I'm being honest, I have nothing else to say. (laughs) I've been asked to speak words of advice to a lot of different people's kids, Tell them to stop doing this. Tell them how to do that. I don't have a lot to say. I hope you guys are all right with that. Um, But we talk about the gospel. I don't have anything else to say to them. I don't have anything else to say to you. I don't have anything else to say to my kids. I cannot get rid of my old self. I cannot be transformed or to put on my new self apart from the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as the worship team comes out, I just want to land on this, this one point. Because I know sometimes this, this um, a- approaches really big ideas, really big ideas behaviors that can truly be dangerous or things that we just don't know how to handle. And so I hope in all of this, there's encouragement. You don't need to know how to specifically handle every topic that may come your way. Amidst all of this, and this is nowhere near the only passage that says we need continued life transformation. So my encouragement to our entire church would be what Paul said and how he said be renewed. Work to let God work. Do everything within your power to let the Holy Spirit do everything within his. Let's meditate on that as we pray and respond. God, we thank you for guiding us here through your word. Um, And we ask Right now, that you would do what so very obviously only you can do. Right? We can attempt to modify ourselves, but only you can transform us. And so I ask that you would continue to do that work. Um, I believe that you've begun it in every single person here, and I ask that you would continue and give us what we need to meet you there, that we would partner with you, that we would work to let you work. We are grateful that you do that in us, that this is not up to us, but that we can rest in you. Thank you for your word, for your example, for your trustworthiness. In your name we pray.